Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. I'm here every week with authors and experts who can enlarge our understanding of the way that animals share our lives and impact our society. To hear other episodes of this show and other informative Pet Talk radio shows I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Eight Paws, LLC, which is solely responsible for its content. I have a super special show for you today, someone I've been dying to meet for a bunch of different reasons. Well, not just because her name is Tracy. Tracy Stewart's going to be here with a very amazing book and ideas for all of us, especially for our kids, Do Unto Animals. Then I'll be here with Mike Karp. He's a Cornell Tech graduate who's come out with a thing you put on your dog's tail called Dog Star to tell you if the dog's happy or sad. This we're going to have to hear some more about. And then Kimberly's going to be here, who's casting the Pet Talk TV show in L.A. Experts, she's looking for experts, pet experts from every kind of creature that there is. Maybe I'll be there, maybe I won't, but we'll find out more about what the Pet Talk TV show is going to be. I think it's on Animal Planet, but they're being very secretive. But most importantly, I cannot wait to say hi to Tracy Stewart. Welcome to your new life. You get to be the celeb in the family now, huh? <laughs> How weird it's is about that? Time. It's about time, damn it. Yeah, all that attention to your hubby. Do you? I mean, oh, it's been awful. I, you poor thing. I can see that that you haven't enjoyed having animals and children and a family and moving to the country. <laughs> All the things you actually seem to love. I did expect the book to be different. I'll tell you why. You, you, we all kind of know who Jonathan Franzen is, right? I mean, great young yes. literary figure, amazing books, just like, you know, knock it out of the park. And then he becomes a vegetarian, and then he becomes a vegan. And I didn't read his book about why everybody else is a creep for eating anything that, you know, ever had a life. But it's like, you know, like, it's like the born-agains, you know, they're much more yeah. intense than the others. So I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be Tracy Stewart. It's like she got religion, and oh, my God, we're being horrible to all these animals. And you know what? It is the most fun book. It's fun. It's delightful. I suddenly feel so differently. I never wanted to ever kill a snake. But, you know, I haven't felt that warm and cozy towards, I don't know, gophers or bees. And everything about this book makes you realize... Everybody has their place, and let's not only not kill them, but let's kind of appreciate what they do well and maybe even make them a nice little home. I, I, yes. I, at what point is that what was driving you? Was this as a mom? Because you're such a mom person. This book is so much about you and your children and the next generation and, and maybe making this a kinder world for all of us. Yeah, well, I do remember that when John and I were trying to get pregnant, we had a hard time, so it took several years. And I remember when I was finally pregnant, I remember being in a cab and going to a doctor's appointment and thinking, I'm going to have someone that I can show this world to. And, and that made me so excited because it's like when you're in your own town and a guest comes and yes. you get to show them around yes. and then you realize all of a sudden, like, yes. wow, my town is great. Yes, you're so <laughs> right. I mean, people in New York never go to the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty until somebody from far away comes. It's exactly that. I mean, you, you actually go into some private detail about how you and John handled uh, the, uh, the get pregnant shots. Was yes. that something that when you did it, you thought, wait a minute, hang on, because you come across as kind of almost like a, a modest, if that's the right word, slightly shy, somewhat introspective kind of person. I thought, wow, she's really brave. She's telling us all this stuff. Did you did you doubt whether you should tell how John dressed up and, and, made, and made little <laughs> animal faces while he was giving you the horrible shots? 
No, you know, I, I do feel, and part of my reason in writing the book was that I do feel like when I finally learn something, I always wish, I wish I'd known this sooner. This could have oh, saved that's me nice. so much grief. That's nice. And so I do feel like with us having a struggle and us having to go through that, I, I always feel like it's important to tell other people that this is indeed what happened. Um, it was difficult. This is what happened. It was hard. We got through it. We have two beautiful children from it. And, and I hope that that inspires people. Uh, and then I ho hope it also causes people to be more realistic about um, sometimes what it takes. What the process is going to be like. And you have to have a, a really great comedic husband who can make it into right. the fun part of the day. Oh, thank God for him. I, I, I do get that impression throughout the book. You, you talk early on about... Uh, the introduction, it really is about animals. So, I mean, you are on the right show. Don't worry. We're not on like some heartfelt, you know, ladies chat show. Although both being ladies, of course, that is what we would want to talk about that stuff anyway. It really <laughs> is about all the different critters. But you talk about a first bow, um, if that's the right word, in L.A. when you live there and, and being brought, made aware of your imperfections. And that yes. you had this pit bull that you adopted who made you feel really validated and made you feel like your love mattered and like the space between your nose and your lip, whatever the hell that was, was just okay <laughs> because it was Tracy's. And, yeah. I, and I'm wondering how much, whenever I learn about someone who wants to do a sanctuary, and the one in Watkins Glen, the farm sanctuary that you spent time at in the New York Times wrote a big, fat, wonderful article, and I will definitely put the link to it to go with this podcast, um, is a really great place. But I, I do wonder, and I don't mean this in any judgmental way, and certainly not about you, because having read the book and now talking to you, I know you're not that person. But sometimes I wonder if people are trying to complete something in their own life, fix something that was broken, write a different narrative than what their narrative was to that point. Do you feel that at all about people that are setting out, and you are setting out to do your own sanctuary, so I'm just asking it to you straight up. Do you think that part of it is to try and make the world a better place than what you thought it was? 100%. I do think that. I do think that for me, especially what I realized was that I do suffer with generalized anxiety. And what I started to notice about myself was when I was giving sanctuary to other people or other animals, that all of that kind of went away because I could focus on something that was real, that I could feel like I was doing something. Yes. And that made me feel like I had some control um, over what would normally make me very sad. So as I learned to be able to help and to do something about the things that made me sad, I was less sad and I was feeling really full and fulfilled. Uh, and, and so I, I do think that the good thing is when people will say, well, this is happening in the world and, you know, this is more important. You should be focused on that. I think people have to look inside and also realize what feeds them, because if they're fed while they're doing it, they're going to continue to do it and they're going to do it better. Um, so everybody has to pay attention to what feels good to them when they're helping other people or other animals, because there is a, like a stewardship that has to happen. And a stewardship. A we're not. We're not going to call that a pun. Stewardship. We'll call it stewardship. <laughs> but you know, I, it, it's funny you should say that. I, you sort of snuck in that there was maybe some negative commentary. Wait, you're spending all your time and money and energy to do an animal sanctuary. Aren't there bigger, more important things? 
And I guess what we're saying is, couldn't you just fix the Syrian refugee crisis? I mean, right. is that what, you know, th that's one of the problems with trying to fix anything where humans are involved, is that you don't get much traction and you don't get much satisfaction and you don't see that cow recover from its injuries. You don't see that dog get a new home. You don't see that cat being spayed and getting to live out her life without making kittens every 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, in the animal world, we get feedback positive reinforcement because we can complete tasks of goodness. Absolutely. And they're all around us. So they're yes. in our backyard. Yes. They're in our home. So there's all these opportunities for us to do even a little something and help another animal, help another person. And we do. We get that immediate feedback, which I hope then if you feel that, then you have more energy to do other things too. Because I do think when you're doing these things, it's not depleting. It actually really does motivate you and fill you up. Definitely. I think that's I've, I've, I've seen that to be true of people that get into rescue. Sometimes people get into rescue and try to do it all on their own, kind of out of their home or their apartment, and they get overwhelmed. Yeah. And then then that's the only time where it's just it's a sole provider and they overwhelm themselves. But if people can join together and do it as sort of a group project and the animal sanctuary in Watkins Glen, are you modeling going to model your sanctuary after that? I am. So what happened with, with Farm Sanctuary is a year ago I went up because once a year they offer a course called the Animal Care Conference. Oh, I'll be and darned. What it's, it's what it's meant to do is to talk to people who are thinking about starting an animal sanctuary. And it really, it's an in-depth uh, program for three days where you really learn all the things that could go wrong, all the things that That's you need to so know. That's so cool. Housing, medicine, um, Fundraising, yes, um, all of it. And so, what how many of you? How many of you nutty people showed up for that three-day intensive? Wait, I have to tell you though, the nicest people show up. I've done it twice now. I just did it again this year. Such nice people. Every single person is. That's so, nice. so cool. How many? <laughs> about how many? Were there like three of you or thirty? Oh, I would say there was about fifty of us. Wow! Seriously. Yeah, but but, you know, what ends up happening is through the course, you can see people's body posture change as, <laughs> as they go through. You know, they come in, they're excited, their shoulders are up. By the end, they're dragging their feet and it's like saying, oh, my God, what am I going to do? But the reality of it is, is I think what happens is those people are very brave and they are people that get things done. And part of the message is that if you don't think you can do all these things right, you're going to suffer and the animal is going to suffer. So let's think about what else you could do right. for these animals. Um, and that's touched upon, too. And, and so it's a really worthwhile um, program. And I've, I went to it again because I do feel like I'm going to go very slowly with this and I want to do it right. Um, and I don't want to take on too many animals. I want to know each species yes. very well before they come, come to me. And I would imagine that some of the other people that don't have whatever the wherewithal might be to actually break ground on a sanctuary or buy an old barn or whatever, however one mm -hmm. might begin it, maybe they'd come and assist you. I mean, it, it, the I mean, a lot of the people that are there really never maybe even had the vision they were going to do it themselves on land they had, but that they wanted to do it somewhere somehow and be part of maybe a bigger picture, which I think is pretty cool that that many people went. Because that's three days of your life, and it's I'm sure wasn't free, and nor should it be. But also it's sobering 
Because what happens if, you know, your chickens all get head lice or whatever chickens get? I don't know. I mean, there oh, are... you would you wouldn't want to see what happens. Uh, it's bad. I know because I almost <laughs> had chickens in Vermont and I'm like, oh, wait, hang on. You seriously fleas or head things or something. So yeah. I was unbrave and just stuck with dogs. Um, one of the things that I think is beautiful about the book, besides the way it looks, the illustrations are just yummy as the only word I can use, mm-hmm. is that it, it seems aimed very much at moms and kids in the best sense of the word. There's projects you can do, and it seems a lot of them would be, of course, grown-ups can do them, no problem, mm-hmm. but it seems a lot of them could be done by school-aged children, and I know so many moms whose kids are just gaga over every sort of animal, and they don't necessarily, you know, have an idea of how to make a bird feeder or how to make a worm right. bin or or how to understand what a squirrel is doing and how to make a squirrel feeder. I mean, everyone's talking about, you know, beat those damn squirrels squirrels off of the bird feeder they're ruining it but someone has to think about the squirrels too right you know and i mean one's up yeah and so it's (laughs) it's really it's in there's just wonderful ways to make feeders to make uh bee houses to make uh, environments for the creatures in the wild not just ones that you might give sanctuary to the ones who will always remain wild and i think Mm -hmm. there's a kind of um an appreciation of all beings in a very St. Francis-y kind of way that's just very uplifting. Because, you know, we're very dog and cat focused, most of us. And people who have the pig sanctuary, uh, you know, they're just like so into pigs that they probably can't see anything but pigs in their mind. And this mm-hmm. book it really incorporates, including pigs, so many different animals and having a sense of what makes each of them tick. One story that you tell in it, which... Uh, most of it is ideas and projects and, and information and wonderful drawings of, you know, the body language of different animals. How do you know they're happy, sad, scared, what have you? Very good ones, I have to say, about dogs and cats, some of the best I've ever seen. Tell the story about your kids and the guinea pigs and what they wanted to do for them at a shelter. I've never heard that idea of how to be kind to animals. I've heard of adopting one, but not going to enrich their lives while they're waiting for a forever home. So tell that story because it it had a punchline that was like, whoa, seriously? I loved it. So (laughs) tell it. I mean, I think that in itself could inspire lots of moms and kids, whether they have pets or not, whether they have allergies or not, whether they have the time for it. I mean, just that little idea of what, how your children could become better humans or, yes. or embrace the better side of their humanness. So tell that story. Well, you know, I always try to tell people, because a lot of times people will say, do you know of great programs where my kids can get involved in, the shel- in a shelter? And what I always say is you never have to wait for a right. program to be created. If you come up with an idea, people that work in shelters are, have limited funding and limited staffing. And if you come to them with a good idea that you're willing to put some energy into, they'll be so appreciative and so yes. happy for that. Um, and my kids have gotten really involved um, with our local shelter, um, but so much so that when we go to other places and we're somewhere else where they don't have that relationship, um, my kids will go into a shelter, uh, say we're in San Francisco, and they'll ask if they can read to the guinea pigs. 
So my daughter um, went in on one vacation with a tail of two guinea pigs and asked if she could read to the guinea pigs. And of course, the very sweet woman behind the counter said, they would love that. Come on in. And the guinea pigs is good for little kids because sometimes you do have to worry about, um, you know, say, not that you have to worry about safety, but a shelter might have some right. rules in place to protect themselves. So those small animals like the rabbits and uh, the birds are always like a safe bet for little kids to come in and read. Um, but going in, and my daughter was very nervous about reading in front of other kids, and she's now a great reader, but that actually held her back for quite some time so that we did have her go in and sit in the cat room and read to the cats. And then she became, you know, she was excited to read. Uh, she was comfortable reading in front of them, and she started to get really good at reading. Well, what's interesting, there are all these read programs around the country for kids just like your daughter, that apparently they kids feel too criticized or embarrassed or self-conscious with any other human, but they read to the golden retriever who is just happy to have their company. And mm -hmm. that helps a kid. But the idea that your child would take that idea, which was done for her benefit, and tr flip it around and, th and think, well, the animal would like to hear a story in that wonderful way that children see things so, you know, yes. giantly, so so beyond themselves. They're so not self-absorbed like adults are. Well, I don't, you know, well, I don't know if the guinea pig will understand. I mean, ridiculous. Of course the guinea pig will understand. It'll understand that for the, in that moment somebody was sending love and attention yes. and affection. And I think that that message, that your daughter took something which had been done for her and then wanted to give just some little bit of sucker, some little bit of attention to animals that didn't have homes, and she couldn't give them a home, and she believed that her attention would make a difference. It does make a difference. Mm -hmm. It makes a difference to other people. And so maybe even just the people in the shelter, they suddenly would view the guinea pigs differently. Oh, the guinea pigs are having storybook hour now. Right, it's you know? so true. Instead of just well, you like, know, you know, whatever they might have thought of guinea pigs, they might have liked them perfectly well. But now they're getting a story read to them by a darling little girl who brings a book, mind you, about guinea pigs to them. Yes. I mean, how and, darling you know, is that? A, I was in a restaurant with John the other day, and we were eating lunch, and a giant bee flew into the restaurant. And the waiter ran to get something to swat at the bee. And just as that happened, the Beatles song, Let It Be, came on. <laughs> and so I'm friendly, at the, I'm friendly with the waiter, and I started singing, Let It Be, Let It Be. And then everybody in the restaurant started laughing and singing, Let It Be. And we were all sitting around smiling because I think we all realized, like, right. Let that be be. You know, that be is a life. <laughs> yes. I mean, and you know, it sort of goes beyond the kind of Indian Jain idea of a religion where you have to wear a face mask because, God forbid, you should breathe in a mosquito and then you would hurt the mosquito. It's not quite down to that kind of nitty gritty. But it mm -hmm. is the idea that nature requires all of these critters. And your book includes them all. And it does do unto animals, a friendly guide to how animals live and how we can make their lives better. So, you know, you might come to that book until you open it and see how delightful and delicious all these illustrations and the colors and the design. It's just so inviting. It feels like reading a kid's book for an adult because you could enjoy it just as much if you don't have a kid to read it with or to. But the, the idea that everybody matters, everybody in the, in the ecosphere matters. You don't really have to give sanctuary to a bee, but it'd be really nice if, A, you didn't kill them, understood their mm -hmm. place in the world, and if you want to make them a really nice bee house, go right ahead. Knock yourself out, because there's a recipe to do that, right? Yes. 
And, you know, I think the illustrations, why that was so important to me to have so many in the book, was that I really wanted everyone to to feel that they were individuals. So we wanted yes. to be able to actually draw the animals that were in my life, that were in my backyard, um, animals that I knew that had names. And I was lucky enough um, to know Liesl Ash, like I've, been, I've worked with her for eight years now. Um, and I just knew that uh, I'd seen her work and knew that she could capture the soul of anything. Um, so I just would present the, pers or the person, <laughs> the animal. Right, and, the uh, animal she person. And come back and she would have captured who that animal was. And she, she's just remarkable. And then, you ha then she's a whole page of footprints. So you're out on a nature walk, whether it's New Jersey or North Carolina, and there's a really good depiction of the different footprints, the difference mm -hmm. between a squirrel, squirrel and a skunk. And many of us might have seen it in the mud or in the snow and just kind of taken a guesstimate. And instead, you could look here and go, ah, an opossum. No kidding. Look at that. Totally different than the other ones. It just it makes it a delightful way to be in the world with animals. And uh, and what about the whole vegan vegetarian thing? All the farm sanctuary types, you know, wouldn't think to drink a cup of milk because <laughs> that's just where they're that's just their belief system. Right. And, and your husband, um, like so many people that are spouses of newly vegetarianized people, because you weren't a vegetarian when you first met. Right. Although I'm sure that people do cohabitate comfortably. Were you a vegetarian when you first met, and then you became no, a vegan? No, not when we first met, no. So you've um, kind of gone actually, to the other side. I, uh, I, we were at a New Jersey rental, and someone had left Gene Bauer's book, his first book, Farm Sanctuary, and I right. saw it sitting on the coffee table, and I tried so hard not to pick it up and read it because I knew, I knew myself. I saw the cow on the cover and was already in love with the cow. And I knew if I read it, I was going to have to change something that I did a lot. Like, I eat a lot all day long. And <laughs> I didn't want to have to change anything about that. I was enjoying that. Um, so I did read the book. And then, of course, like it made me want to change. It didn't make it... I didn't feel like it was a difficult thing. It was actually like it felt great because yes. I knew these things, and then I felt good doing it. And I, when I started writing the book, I was vegetarian. Uh, and then because I had to do research and I had to look at things that I probably would normally protect myself from and not look at, um, I just started to feel like I could be doing even better than yeah. I was doing. Yeah. And then, then it became easy, too. You know, I, I have celiac disease, so I had oh, to go me too. free. That's, oh, really? That's not so hard, though, right? It's not hard at all. So I think that's what, what I also realized. Like, I did it for that, and my life is still great, and I still have tons of food to eat, and I still, like, have a weight problem. So, <laughs> like uh, all, like all sentient human females, we, we all seem to feel that we do have one. What about your kids? Did, they, did you start them out as vegetarians, and, or did they want to be? They're so animal-oriented, and kids are so, can be so passionate about the issue of they don't have to see the movie Babe or read Charlotte's web they're kind of almost there to begin with so they are there yeah where, where are your kids vegetarians no they are not my daughter very much wants to be um, and so she'll do things like she was learning in school uh, that they were supposed to drink three glasses of milk a day. So she came home to me and she said, I just feel so bad about myself because Aww. my friends are learning that they're supposed to drink three glasses of milk a day. And I know that's not good for them. And I should have said something and I didn't. Oh, and um, and then like a couple weeks went by and they had a nutritionist come into the class and the nutritionist was asked, uh, taking questions. So my daughter raised her hand and said, how do you feel about milk? And he said, you mean cow's milk? Yes. He said, I think cow's milk is great for raising baby calves. 
Ooh. And so she came home, and she was so proud of herself. But that night, she wanted chicken nuggets for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works. But you know what? No, she, it's, she it's wasn't an, bad, but, you know, yeah. she really likes chicken nuggets. It's, it's an evolving consciousness. I think that's what we have to realize, that it's, it's the awareness that matters, and no one's going to be perfect. Most people are not no. going to be pure and perfect about it. And, you know, a meatless Monday is a great idea. And, you know, you try and build from that if you wish to, but, you know, not, not blame others if they're eating something that once walked. Yes. Well, Gail King came to interview me a couple of days ago, and she said, oh, I'm feeling so bad, Tracy, because I eat meat. And I said, <laughs> Gail King, I am not worried that you are not doing good in this world. Right. Um, you know, I have no judgments of you except that you are a remarkable human being. And for me, this is just my own personal place where I am. It feels really good for me. Um, my life is better. I feel like my health is better. But I can't expect everybody else to be at the same place um, or to even end up, you know, we all have different journeys that we go on. That's right. That's exactly right, including husbands and other family members. However, you don't have to kill a bee. Unless it's in the right. process of stinging a person who's going to have an anaphylactic reaction. Right. And I think that's really the point of the book, is that there's so many things to be aware of in so many different kinds of animals around us. And I love, I love everything about it. You're doing an amazing job. I know you're schlepping around the country, and you'd probably rather be home with your animals and your children. But it's really important that everybody gets to ask you the story, and you get to tell it 50 different ways, because... In this book, there's just so much good for everybody, and I think you've done an amazing job, Tracy. I really do. I, I admire you, and I applaud you, and just keep on keeping on, and I can't wait to come visit the sanctuary some oh, year thank soon. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for being here, and uh, go have yourself a handful of peanuts. Okay. I think you're doing our name proud. <laughs> You're very kind. Yes. What a name. You can't beat it. Tracy beat Stewart. It. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so Take much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word. We are pleased to support the Catnip Allergy Study. Are you allergic to cats? Does your cat or the cat of a friend or family member cause you to sneeze or get itchy, watery eyes? If so, you may be qualified to participate in Catnip, a clinical study of an investigational drug combined with allergy shots. Researchers are screening cat-allergic individuals at their study sites in Los Angeles, Denver, Chicago, Baltimore, Chapel Hill, Seattle, and Madison. If you're allergic to cats and interested in learning more about the catnip study, go to catallergystudy.org. This show is also made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado who's created innovative litters for the health of all members of the family with low-dust litters that allow everyone to breathe easier. Precious Cat's newest health monitor litter has broken new ground by allowing people to find the early signs of kidney disease in their kitties and intervene before damage is done, prolonging the quality and length of a cat's life. I am back with Mike Karp. He is one of two very ambitious young men who have started something called Dog Star, which has created kind of an internet sensation in the idea that there's a device you could put on your dog's tail, which they're in development of, which will tell you if your dog is happy or sad or other things, I guess, not just happy or sad, many other emotions potentially. Mike, it's so interesting to talk to you. I've learned a little bit about Dog Star from you and from reading about it, but 
the first reaction people have when I tell them dog stories, this really cool thing, they say, well, can't you just tell that your dog's happy if he's wagging his tail? And I guess that's part of the really cool science of what you've created. Explain how you came as a, a, a new graduate of, of the Cornell Tech Business School, or maybe it's not called business school, the Cornell Tech Graduate School, yeah. how you came to be in this most fascinating position of helping people figure out what their dog's tail wag means. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Tracy. Um, I mean, I would I would love to start by just telling you um, that is definitely a question I get all the time because, you know, people are very in tune with their dogs and we're not trying to tell them that, they're, that they need something else when they're around. We're actually just trying to kind of add to the arsenal of tools they have um, and, and, and really help them understand what's going on when they're not around their dog. So, you know, does the dog interact well with your dog walker? Does your dog get along well with the dog daycare facility? Or are there small changes you can make that would vastly improve their quality of life? And it's based on the, mo- the movement of their tail? Exactly. So in 2013, actually, an Italian neurologist released a, uh, a paper in, a, in, a, in current biology, so peer-reviewed academic research, that showed that subtle movements of the tail actually mean very different things. So a wag that favors the left versus a wag that favors the right actually have very different meanings. Are dogs, um, are dogs left pawed or right pawed? I've actually heard that, but does that have nothing to do with the way the tail goes? Does the tail go in a specific way on every dog? You know, I don't, I don't know about left pawed versus right pawed. Um, there was a theory that the left versus right wagging did have something to do with the left or right uh, brain hemispheres. Um, but I don't think any of that has been conclusively proven. Um, what, what's, what's interesting about, um, the dog wags is actually that the wag is just sort of in general, kind of a heightened state of emotion. So, you know, just a a dog wagging his tail doesn't necessarily mean it's happy. Right. It has a whole, there's a whole panoply of emotions that are expressed through the tail, which I guess is one of the reasons that those who are against ear docking and tail cropping feel really strongly that taking a dog's tail off takes away a a huge part of his vocabulary, whether it's with other dogs, other animals, or with people, right? Exactly. Especially with communicating with other dogs. So most of the research has been done with one dog looking at an image of another dog. Um, And we like to think of it as kind of like uh, the tail wag is like a smile for humans. Right. And and we don't notice, like with so much body language of dogs, it's only through the work of of people like Brian Hare and his dog cognition lab at Duke or this Italian neurophysicist or neurobiologist um, that these sort of very specific studies have been done. And you think, well, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? But it's really much more interesting than that. I mean, because it's giving information that has huge value. Is your dog going to be an attacker or a victim? And their tail behavior, for one thing, will actually tell you that and help you modify that behavior, right? Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with you. We're we're really starting on um, sort of the quality of life aspect. So, you know, ensuring your pup gets the same, you know, gets the maximum possible happiness out out of their life. Um, when you're not there, when you're not there to throw the ball, give the biscuit, go for the walk or the belly rub, right? Exactly. And, you know, um, one of the interesting things that we've, we've been trying to play with is if you, um, basically correlate happiness data with facilities like dog daycares, 
you know, if we aggregate that up across everybody's dog, we could tell you kind of a Yelp-style review of that yes, dog daycare facility. That's very funny. That's from the hoot. actual perspective of the animal. Well, you know, it's very funny, but uh, not funny. It's interesting. A lot of people now, maybe not people in the Hamptons on the weekend, but people in the Hamptons during the week that have dogs, they have jobs or they have appointments or they have children at school and they want their dog to have an optimal life. And people will often opt for doggy daycare. I've often advocated for it, you know, vigorously because it it does give them the companionship of other dogs and quote unquote socialization and and have some fun. But you know, there's a huge difference in doggy daycares. I mean, I've seen some and you can go buy them in New York City being there for the dog film festival and it was very cool to have Dog Star as part of the festival. You see some oh, places it was so that. fun and loved loved having you there. Everyone was very excited to learn about it. But you know, there's some that are just a storefront. They have a bunch of dogs standing there, and they just poo and pee, and somebody cleans it up, and they poo and pee, and somebody cleans it up. And I, I, I can't imagine that if they had a dog star on their tail, they'd be going, man, this is great, or having group defecation one at a time. I mean, they aren't doing anything. They don't yeah. have any stimulation. They're not playing. They're standing in a linoleum-floored place just looking about. So I think that you know, there's a doggy daycare, and there's a doggy daycare, or maybe you want to just have a dog walker have a one-on-one with another dog, you know, you find a best friend for your dog and let them just actually do something. And you wouldn't really know that. I mean, there's... No, absolutely. I think, you know, and I think if there is some accountability there, you know, if 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 basically the owners know the dogs are reviewing them, if you will, you know, <laughs> the, the product only gets better. You know yes, what I mean? Like I mean, a lot, of, yes, a lot of hotel keepers live in dread of Yelp. Or you go someplace, yeah. you had a great time. They say, please say so on travel or travel advisor. There's one. You know, yeah. the people absolutely. Exactly. They really, even beyond Yelp at the best pizzeria, travel advisors like go here, don't go there. So explain who you and Yanni are, because I think that it's also, I think the story of Dog Star is very inspirational because you're two young men fresh out of school. You're not particularly dog obsessed that I got the impression of. I mean, like you're fully rounded, you know, people with a, a whole a, a <laughs> roster of things that interest you in the world. How did you guys fix on this piece of information about tail wagging and then create a very sophisticated technology and now you're crowdsourcing it? So part of me having you here is both to celebrate your courage and your sort of foresight in creating something, but also to say to people, if you want to try one, if you're curious, do they go to Indiegogo? Is that where you are? Yeah. So um, we are, we're live on Indiegogo now. Um, the backstory ab- about us is that Yanni and I have basically been working for large corporations all of our careers. When you say um, career, so Yanni, hang on, you're, you're not, these are not 45-year-old guys. I mean, all your, all your careers, you mean before you went to Cornell Tech or after? It, it, exactly, before going to Cornell Tech. Um, so are you like those little genius kind of IT, write code kind of people that they snatch out of high school or out of the cradle and they immediately want to suck your brains even before you fully educated? No, really, are you those people? Because we hear about them. No, no. We I mean we both kind of followed a kind of a a, a, rel, a relatively normal path going to going to uh, a university and 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 working for. Um, so I did consulting for IBM and uh, American Express. Before, I've heard of those companies. Going. Strangely enough, <laughs> those are not like startups in someone's backyard. 
So, okay, you're being modest and you're not going to tell me the truth. But when when IBM and American Express, they've never asked me to consult for them. I just want to put that right out there. So <laughs> I think if they ask someone to consult, they must be standing out in the tech field or in the development field in a kind of um, head above the hedgerow kind of way. So, all right, you're, you're going to be immodest. You're not going to tell me. No, I mean, I mean my, my interest has always been um, from a professional standpoint in data. Um, okay. So... Um, when I first started at IBM, I did this really cool project for FDNY and really, uh, yeah, a bunch of kind of like, uh, public sector projects actually kind of, nice. um, yeah. What and were then those it, summer jobs or something? No, no, that was a full time right out of really? college, um, okay. right out of Columbia. Okay. In New York. Gotcha. Um, as an undergrad. As an undergrad. Right. So actually basically Yanni and I just finished, um, grad school at Cornell Tech as the first class. Um, Oh, they've never, had that, they've never had that graduate school until now? No. So, so um, Bloomberg, before he left office as, as mayor of New York City, put out an RFP for a new graduate institute in New York City to be built on Roosevelt Island. Um, oh, and that different. Cornell won that and became Cornell Tech, um, and the campus is being built right now. Whoa. But we were, we were an experimental class, actually. Cool. Uh, um, so, so there were only 39 of us in this MBA program, um, did a summer in Ithaca, and then basically were stationed in the Google building in New York City. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, no, it's a totally kind of a, a you know, cool experience to be part of the founding class of the, of yeah. the organization. Of, of something um, that's to, to the mind of someone like me, sort of futuristic. Yeah, you know, they're, tr- they're, they're trying to, to really kind of rethink graduate and uh, graduate education. And, you know, there's going to be some interesting opportunities for uh, tech companies to be actually on campus on the new Roosevelt Island campus. Wow. Like that. But it's really, really cool. Really, and really so cool. you guys are going to be that first class and you're going to come back waving the flag of dog star and whatever else you create. And they'll have you back as a, as a, I don't know, professors or mentors or <laughs> inspirers or something. So, Dogstar, you have made prototypes. In other words, this is one of the things you did at Cornell Tech or in the Google building. You made the prototype of this band that goes on a dog's tail. I'm asking. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Actually, the very first prototype, which we did uh, towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year, um, we actually used sort of um, Arduino, which is like a rapid prototyping uh, tool. Uh, And then we... We actually went and we built our own uh, custom hardware uh, from scratch. And really? Then, I guess that's yeah. what you do when you're in the tech world. Someone like me is just totally amazed by the telephone to this day. I don't mean the cell phone. I mean the actual telephone. But I think the fact that you've thought this through and created a product and then you go back out to the world of dog lovers and say, do you want to support this? Because they aren't just getting themselves a dog star um Gizmo. I'm sure that's not the word you like used, but the gizmo that goes on their dog's tail. They're also supporting the idea that technology can delve into the lives of pets and improve the quality of their lives. This and other things. I mean, it's a whole new world out there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's real. The real benefit of technology is is it has the chance to to really like drastically improve someone's life, um, which should include dogs. Yes, um, absolutely. Do you guys have dogs or you're a little too busy for that right now? Yeah, the whole team has dogs except um, you know, when I when I think about sort of who 
quote unquote, I dedicate this to. If you see that, if you go to the campaign, you'll see this on the campaign page. I actually wanted to dedicate this from on my side for to my childhood dog Luna, oh. who um, was a big part of my my kind of development and my growth as who I am today. Um, and that's that's really where sort of my love for dogs was solidified. Well, I think a lot of us have that feeling. I mean, a lot of people, I would think even people that kind of are brainiacs like you, sometimes it's hard. I mean, I I know you're not saying that, but I'm saying it. It's very clearly obvious. Your average nice graduate of something doesn't doesn't already have the achievements that you have. But sometimes being different than other kids, different in a good way or different in a different way, that dogs have an extremely important place in the emotions of children when they're growing up and teenagers. It's it's like a safe place. You know, it's like a PTSD if you didn't even have the stress yet because life yeah, is stressful and it's hard to be different. So I think <laughs> it's really cool that that she inspired you to to take your smarts and and business acumen and say, I don't know, how do we how do we do something for dogs? I, I don't know if the if the dog cognition lab is sort of on your radar, but they're doing all this IQ tests, if you want to call it that. Dog yeah. you. And I'll I'll bet there's a place in there for your next invention, but we're we're jumping ahead. You want to you want to get dogs <laughs> up and out. Yeah, one at a time. I one at a time. Yeah, otherwise you'll you'll get your brains jumbled. You're at the um You've you've made a visit to the uh, the big national dog training uh, event. So you're going to places where people that care a lot about dogs and how they think and how they behave are hanging. And are you finding a very a very enthusiastic reception? Yeah, absolutely. I think people are um, excited about new ways to interact with their dogs. I think um, you know people always have this kind of question in the back of their mind, like, what, what, what are you, what are, what are you thinking? Right. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. A, lot so of I, us, a lot of us feel that way. Are you good with this? Do you like staying in the car for three hours? Are you sure you wouldn't rather stay home? I mean, I ask them and I don't get clear answers. So I just have to guess. <laughs> now, of course, yeah. there, what, what about people whose dogs have cut tails, you know, or dogs like, I think Rottweilers, I had a rot, two Rottweilers. I think they're born with no tail. That seems unusual. Yeah. They cut them way off or my Weimaraners or cut at different lengths. Is it work equally well or do they use their tails less well when they've been cut off? Does it become less natural? What's left? You know, I think the, the biggest thing um, is just about physical real estate to put the small sensor on. And if, right. there isn't, if there isn't space for it to be comfortable and on there, then, you know, we'll 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 get them we'll get them in the next version. Right, exactly. <laughs> we'll put something a little a little a little a little tin foil hat on them, and they and it'll they'll beam their thoughts to us, right? <laughs> well, I think it's really cool, Mike, and and people really should go to the Dog Star website because you got the coolest logo. I mean, it looks like you know like a, like better than American Express's logo. So it looks <laughs> like you've been around a long time. It's it's a, it looks like a serious venture, but it's. Just you're just floating, floating your boat now, and I hope that lots of us can help send you out to sea because I think it's very exciting to spend this amount of time and energy and money um, developing something that that gives us more insight into our constant companions. So, wishing you and Yanni a lot of luck, and hope you'll come back and tell us that you achieved your your big fat Indiegogo goal, and um, it'll it'll be out in the market, and you'll come back and tell us how people are are embracing it. I hope sometime soon. Great. Thank you so much, Tracy. What a pleasure. Best of luck, Mike. It's delightful to talk to you guys. Keep up the good work. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. I'll be right back after this quick word 
And I'll be back with Kimberly from the Pet Talk TV show. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a privately owned pet food company that uses people food to make food for cats and dogs in their family's human food facility. All varieties of canned Waruva, the pouches of cats in the kitchen, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend brands, are made with the same care and specifications that are used to make food for people. Waruva's owners want to feed their own rescue kitties, for whom the company is named, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat. I am back with Kimberly Giebel, who is one of the casting directors for a new television show called Pet Talk. They reached out to me, and I thought, well, what is this about? It's a a TV show, not a reality TV show, so no housewives involved, and it's full of experts about pet things. And I thought, well, come on and tell us all about it to the extent that you can, because I'd love to be involved. I'd love some of my co-hosts on the Radio Pet Lady Network to be involved, but also maybe there's people listening who might like to put themselves forward as being part of the Pet Talk expert team. So, Kimberly, welcome to Dog Talk. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I love those are really good ideas. I love that. Would love to get you guys involved and your viewers involved as well. Terrific. So tell us, I mean, when I was sent the original email, it was all very secretive, a well-known national animal cable show. So right. I, are we allowed to say Animal Planet or are they afraid that someone's going to steal the idea? There are no other famous animal you cable know- TV shows. There might be. I really, I can't say which one. At this I love time. that. Very- okay, we're being secretive. <laughs> there might be another one you've never heard of, and why would we want to be involved with something no one's ever heard of? But never mind. It's no, uh, you know, it, um, it's very popular. You 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 definitely have heard of it, um, and it has a great great reputation. Goody. So okay, so we're figuring that's what it is, which is swell because all the things they do are one more interesting than the next. So, what is the idea behind Pet Talk? Who originated it? To the extent that that's not a secret, who said let's have a show full of pet experts, and how are they going to interact with the audience? Um, actually, my, my boss, Duran Ophir, and his business partner, his partner, and a couple of other people came together with the idea, and it was very secretive. We did not know about it until a couple of weeks ago. Really? But, um, yeah. So when you so, say your boss, you're part of a casting agency. Casting and produ- he does producing as well. But it's not just animal things. Yeah, this is actually going to be our first project. Oh, fun. Oh, good luck. But it's not, is it going to have a lot of animals or mostly humans talking about animals? Mostly humans talking about animals. That'll be easier for you. I don't think you have a lot of guinea pigs running around the set. Help, help find Ralph the guinea pig. I can't find him. Oh, that'll be a good segment. But I'm sure we'll have, I'm sure we'll have some animal guests on there as well. It's, it's kind of a talk show format. Uh, We'll have a little Q&A with the audience. Oh, fun. yeah, and with viewers at home, but it's also got a panel of four hosts leading each um, daily show. Um, you know, pet experts, oh, veterinarian specialists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like what's my line, or one of those old-fashioned TV talk slash kind of not quite a game show, but I mean the idea of having a lineup of guests and then they each give, or I don't know, Hollywood Squares. Is it kind of like that where they talk no. with each other and with the MC and I with the audience? I didn't even think about that. That's a good way to look at it. It's also, if you think about that show, The Doctors, or yes. The View, or The Talk, yes. it's like that, too. Oh, what um, fun. Live audience. Yeah, definitely. And everybody watching it, you know, obviously it's geared toward pet owners and animal lovers. So I think it'll be a really fun show for everyone So watching. sort of factual and informational, but also people can have a sense of humor and kind of joke around with each other, in theory. Yeah, 
yeah, it'll be really informative. Uh, they'll go over a lot of subjects that maybe um, um, you know, that that would definitely interest pet owners, and also um, things maybe we don't know about our pets, what our pets can't tell us, you know, really, or and also hot hot button uh, subjects like vaccinations, right. Um, yeah, and uh, how much? And how much are you going? You as the casting person, and then your boss as the producer, never having done a pet show before, and therefore not being. I think it, I myself personally think it's better that you don't come steeped in pet world because then you're going to have preconceived notions and you're going to have opinions and attitudes, and then it wouldn't be so open minded. But what are you going to do about people dis the the experts disagreeing? Is that going to be part of the 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 kind of energy of it? Yeah, I think so, because um, all the pet experts are going to come from different worlds and have right. different backgrounds. Right, right. Um, and, and we like a good debate. We like a huge yes. topic. Yes, People get really heated over their pets and their children, but... Well, <laughs> so, I mean, as if you're going to, if you just, the first, the first time you deal with, um, like, dry food for cats or even dry food for dogs, you could do the next 24 shows about it and, you know, have people throwing kibble at each other and, and getting all red in the face and smoke coming out of their ears. I mean, there are true. topics that the experts and owners are just so exercised about, and you're yeah. making it in L.A., right? Yes, it's going to be produced in L.A., and uh, we're going to start shooting the first three episodes, I believe, in mid-December. So wow. So we're casting this very fast. And my, my job is to really find the hosts and figure out that's the first step. And then after that, we'll start figuring out the topics. perfect guests for the show and the topics. So yeah. You'll have, so you would be like the talk where you have your regulars, and then there would be a guest who would come, yeah. and that person would have a special interest, special knowledge, special platform of some kind. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. really cool. Now that it's a beautiful website and there's pictures of many pets beyond dogs and cats. Right. So do you really, are you really going to include the herps and the slithers and the clicks and the wings and all of the various exotic kind of pets that people also have? I think so. Um, I think most of it will be about cats and dogs. Right. Uh, but then we'll, we'll sprinkle in a few fun episodes for the exotic animals because um, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of people own reptiles, yep. a lot yep. of people own birds. Tell me about it. I have a show called Exotic Pets, and bunnies are the third most – they don't even seem that exotic particularly, right? Um, but they're the th I think the third most popular pet after dogs and cats. So there's yeah, millions, of, millions of bunny owners and – Every shelter has bunnies for adoption, which is something that a lot yeah. of us don't think about. And Dr. Rosenthal, who's my co-host on Exotic Pets, she's talked about the fact that they can be litter box trained, that they're funny, that Aww. they're interactive with people. They have charming personalities. But never mind the rats. You're going to have to cover rats because I don't know about you, but they kind of give me the heebie-jeebies. I think it's their tail. But the rat owners are so mad about crazy in love with their rats. Because they're yeah. so affectionate, so bright. They follow commands. They understand things the same way that dogs do in terms of interacting with them. It's going to be really fun to have, you know, rats and bunnies on people's shoulder or wherever they park. I guess someone will come in yeah. with a parrot, right? I, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure maybe a monkey. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. You know? Yes. I guess monkeys are no longer PC. I'm guessing that it's no longer like politically correct to have a monkey. I don't know that you that's know what? true. And and from what I, I've already been interviewing people so far, and oh, from what me. I've learned, that's up for debate. There are some people that are very uh, firm on. Interesting. Yeah, yeah actually, we were just uh, interviewing somebody the other day, a zookeeper, and also um, 
oh gosh, just a monkey trainer. (laughs) Oh yes, of course. A monkey trainer. Why did I not think of that? A monkey trainer, like for movies or television? Um, I think, I think she does a little bit of both. She lives here in LA. So I'll be darned. So they're very pro, they're very pro monkey. Are they? Um, this particular, this particular person. (laughs) I mean, what would happen if you're a monkey trainer, you can't come on and say, you know what, we should respect them better and leave them in the rainforest because you know, that's not probably not realistic. There goes his career. And also I'm sure there are loads that are purpose bred or already exists. Right. And, and so you might as well give them a job. It sounds like really fun. It sounds like the people that love dogs and cats were just as easily tuned in for the thing on snakes just because they've never wanted one, but they want to know more just out of exactly. complete idle curiosity. So give a sense of who you're looking for and what you're looking for in an audience, because I think it's really fun to, to help a bit um, from my end and just say, this is going to exist. It sounds to me really fun. And I'd love to see it be really successful because I think that it's it's unique. I mean, no one else has thought to do anything like this, and I think it's a really good idea. I know. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. So um, and it's, it's so fun, too, interviewing everybody. But um, what we are looking for, I think three or four hosts, probably four, nice even number there. Right. Um, behaviorists, veterinarians, um, oh gosh, um, scientists, groomers, even um, – even chefs, you know, animal, animal chefs. There's right. a lot of dog chefs and yeah. cat chefs. Yeah. It's very, very, very fascinating. There's a career for everything. But um, we're really just looking for pet experts. Somebody, you know, that has credentials. Uh, somebody who's a good talker. You know, right. we really right. want to find people who want to engage the audience um, and bring something to the table. Um, not be afraid to have an opinion. Right. You know? right, right. Even if it's just to kind of throw something up in the air and see if it explodes. Exactly. And, and of course, you're, if you're going to have an opinion, you better be able to back it up because right. people are passionate about their pets. Yes. Um, yeah. So really just pet experts, people that have something to say and not one person on the um, leading the show as a host on the panel uh, will be, you know, similar to the next. We really want people from different fields in the world of, you know. It's a great idea. But how do people give up their day jobs to be your hosts? I mean, Everyone has yeah. a day job, to put it mildly, or they're all working till you know eleven at night. So how do you work that out? I mean, it, on the View, those people make a ton of money, and that's their whole job, right? I mean, they're just there every day doing that. So how, since that's not the the model for you, and you people wouldn't be a pet expert anymore if they gave up their profession to come and be on your show. So how do you make that work? You know, right now, because we only have three shoot dates right now, which are in December, and then I think it kind of goes, usually goes into a holding pattern, and then since we're in such the early stages right now, we don't know who our hosts will be, um, it's kind of to be determined, but a lot of people, gosh, would probably have to leave their day jobs is my guess. Scary. That's if you're really, if you're really, if you're really successful, which I really hope you are. I think it's wonderful. I mean, there's a lot of us that would much rather discuss that than, you know, what's the right kind of diaper to use or the Middle East situation. We could talk about pets till we're blue in the face. No problem. How do you get the audience? Is that a piece of cake? Is it really easy Um, to get live audiences in LA? I I think, yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think, yeah, there's, there's a few companies that uh, provide audiences that cast, I guess you could say cast audiences and then for our guests we would we oh gosh finding the guests oh that'll be so much fun oh yeah that's easy because there's tons of them and they don't have to give up their job and they don't even have to be so excellent because with any luck if you've picked your panel correctly they'll keep it lively 
and they can make, you know, somebody who might be a little reticent or not so full of pep seem peppier by just, you know, tickling them under the arms kind of thing. I mean, I guess that's really what makes one of those panels great is that they bring their energy to the guest. Exactly. Exactly. And there's going to be so many fun segments. You know, we'll have the serious ones like pet nutrition and vaccinations, but then we'll want to know what the hot pet trends are, how to travel with your pet. And we'll bring some products, uh, fun new products for your pets um, on the show as well. So, and of course there's always fashion when all else fails, we get the green carpet out and start parading, right? I know. And pet costumes, I don't think those are ever going to go out of style. No, that seems to just get more and more all the time. Well, Kimberly, I wish you all the best. I'm hoping I get to be part of it because I do think it's something that really, the, I think the time couldn't be better. You know, it's, it's really now okay that. to carry your dog everywhere, to dress your dog up and to, you know, say, what do I give back to the community? I volunteer at my shelter or I'm starting my own rescue or yeah. sanctuary. I mean, that's now very much a part of our society is an absorption with pets is considered something healthy and positive and great for the next generation and obviously great for the pets as opposed to, yeah. oh, you're just an animal nut. So it's great that animal nuts can come out of the woodwork now and say, we have our I'm own, one of them. Wait, me too, have one of our own TV shows. I think it sounds really terrific. So how do people get in touch with you if they, well, if they're in the LA area or they're going to travel to LA in somewhere in December, maybe they want to be in the audience or they want to be a guest or they want to be one of the panelists. How do they reach you? If, if they are inter- interested in being um, a part of the show, um, especially if they want to be a host, I urge everybody nationwide, you don't even have to be in L.A. anytime soon because we'll, we'll figure that out, but PetTalkCasting.com. PetTalkCasting.com. If you want to be a host, you fill out the application, um, and it'll come to us, and then we'll kind of figure it out from there. We'll, we'll put it through our system and give everybody a call and figure out if this person would be a better host or guest and right. et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think it's really terrific, and I'm, I'm sure you're never going to run out of topics. In fact, once, once you get going and the show's actually shooting, will it also air in December, or you're only going to shoot in December, and then, then the unnamed animal, the very successful animal cable channel that doesn't have a name, will they then decide whether or not to put it on? Are they like tryout um, shows? It, it's looking like a... I think we're you're going to be on the air. looking good. Yes. But I don't know when it would actually air. Right. So so it, the whole thing is a wonderful experiment. And it'd be really great if the people all the all the people that are part of Dog Talk and Kitties, too, and my whole Radio Pet Lady Network, all of you, any of you go oh, get, go give it, it a try. Check it out. Give a little traffic to their website so they can see that the people are curious because it is a curiosity. Yeah. Kimberly, have a great rest of the day. Good luck with the casting. Have a wonderful time. And and I hope you don't wind up with too many baby elephants because I guess they aren't really oh, pets. No. no, no baby elephants. Okay. We won't do that. Have a great rest of the day. Thank Take you, care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you all for listening. Have a great rest of a weekend. Kiss those kitties, hug those pooches, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now. <laughs>